Hello and welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. One of my passions has always been to advocate on behalf of our patients so that they have access to optometric services to the highest scope of our knowledge, education, and training. To that end, I think it's critical for optometric physicians to understand the value of the care we're providing. It's also important for us to understand how to effectively communicate the level of services we are providing to payers. That's why I developed iCode Education and subsequently iCode Media. The challenge with the limited scope of practice and more specifically what's called inclusionary optometric practice acts or shortened as inclusionary language is that every time a new procedure is introduced, if it isn't explicitly contained within the practice act, our profession must return to the legislature to be granted that new authority. This means that when we rely on exclusionary language, we may have to send our patients to other professionals for the most cutting edge treatments and procedures. It is for this reason we're seeing states move away from inclusionary language to pass legislation with exclusionary language. Practice acts that essentially say the scope of practice for optometry includes everything except for whatever those things are. With exclusionary language, as long as a new treatment or procedure is not something that is specifically excluded, it would then be included in the new law and would not need to be passed as a new law in order to grant that new authority. It's basically how medical doctors, podiatrists, dentists, their laws are written. I often have conversations with doctors who want as-taught legislation, but exclusionary language isn't exactly as taught legislation, but it is functionally very close. So when new treatments and procedures are developed that are in our scope of practice, how do we report them to payers if they don't have definitive CPT codes? And this is where CPT Category 3 codes come in. What CPT Category 3 codes are is that they are used to track the utilization of new and emerging technologies, services, and procedures. Essentially, payers use these codes to determine the utility of a procedure. However, they'll often not reimburse anything for those procedures. Additionally, most payers will take the position that procedures in this category have not been established as, quote, safe, effective, or applicable to the clinical practice of medicine, end quote. Usually, the payer will deny reimbursement to a physician for these codes unless there have been a published local coverage determination, or LCD, by CMS in, that will extend coverage for one of these services. So what are some of the new emerging procedures and technologies that we may be, may be using currently or may soon be using in our practices? Well, these include things like ocular blood flow measurements, clearing eyelid glands with heat and intermittent pressure, monitoring intraocular pressure for 24 hours or longer, things like tear film imaging, visually evoked potentials, quantitative pupillometry, insertion of drug-eluting implants into the lacrimal canaliculus. This is interesting. Visual field assessments with concurrent real-time data analysis and accessible data storage with patient-initiated data transmitted to a remote surveillance center. Uh, So that would include telehealth visual fields, essentially, and monitoring of those. Um, Technical support for patient instructions, analysis, transmission, again, another type of uh, data report to a physician via telehealth, computer-aided animations, um, again, of, of a series of retinal images via telehealth, initial and subsequent placement of drug-eluting ocular inserts under the eyelids, uh, again, have uh, CPT Category 3 codes, 
I think the bottom line here is that there are always new technologies that are on the horizon for us to better serve our patients. And optometrists have to have the authority to provide these services. They also have to have an understanding as to how and when we will be reimbursed for these services and also have to have the ability to report for these procedures even when the billing for them remains to be an out-of-pocket service to the patient. Lastly, I want to put my AOA State Government Relations Committee hat on. In order for us to continue to move forward as a profession, we must continue to build on all of the work that has been done before us. The AOA is making virtual training sessions available to members and states, and there are, is a significant opportunity to build legislative and regulatory relationships during this time. And I would encourage you all to work with your state associations and through your state associations to do that. Please reach out to me personally, and I'll put you in contact with those resources. If you like this episode and found it valuable, and you'd like to support your state association during COVID-19, check out iCode Clinical Update, where every virtual CE event purchased between now and July 1st, iCode Education will write a check to your state association for $50. Join over 2,500 optometrists who have used an iCode course and visit iCodeEducation.com, that's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E, education.com, or follow the links in today's show notes. Additionally, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends. At iCode Media, we believe in advancing the optometric profession by diving deep into eye care topics and providing actionable steps for our listeners and subscribers. Have a great week. Talk to you soon.